0: Father, we thank you for the privilege we have had to gather in your presence with your word as our guide. You have fed us with your truth. Your word is truth. It is powerful in setting us apart from sin. It is powerful in its work in setting us apart to yourself. You have prayed that prayer, Lord, and we realize it takes place in our lives when the word of God effectually works in us we are being changed by God's power and that alone till we reflect your nature, till we show the world what Jesus is really like. That is your workmanship. We attribute everything produced to your handiwork in us. We are not worthy, but you have made us worthy by your Son. And we thank you for the privilege of fellowship this weekend. When we leave here, Lord, You go with us, wherever we go, you will not leave us, you will not forsake us. We may boldly and confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear, what can man do to me? God, give us that kind of attitude in the world in which we find ourselves today. We ask, Lord, you'll bless your word to our hearts now, as we part, may it be knowing your blessing on our lives as we commit the future into your hands. We give you thanks for the privileged time we have shared together, the refreshing and the fellowship. We give you thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We are looking (coughs) at lessons from the Passover. And there will be a few scripture references which we are going to look at. Does this thing work? You all right. Yeah. Ah, good. <coughs> what I've put in here is the lessons from the Feast of Passover. They're immense lessons. We will see how we go. And the first thing we learn is it: the Passover unveils to us God's nature, his being, his character. So when you take your Bible, turn to the references on the, the um, screen there, and we're in Exodus 12, uh, the chapter we looked at to start with. I'll put some references there up there that bring out the nature of God's character. First one I put, you've got there Exodus 12:27. Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians and the people bowed down and worshipped. The meaning of Passover is just that. He passed over. It is God's character of mercy. To pass over, he protected. The blood was the protection. The blood of the lamb was their protection. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will not allow the destroying angel to come in. So pass over was protection, total protection. Not allowed to be touched. But the other part of God's nature or character which we so easily put aside because his love is so great and that is his hatred, his anger, his wrath, his indignation. There are two aspects to God's character and unless we balance them both, we carry a wrong message about the God whom we worship. He will by no means clear the guilty, we are told. He is angry with the wicked every day. If they turn not, he will take his sword and use it. He'll wet his sword out of King James. So there are two aspects to God's nature or character that are revealed in the Passover. We focus on Passover, but the Bible says he passed through Egypt. And when he passed through, he destroyed on his way. There was not a home where there was not someone dead. At midnight, we are told from Scripture, it must have been a most sobering night They did not know what was going to happen. They were told to prepare. They did everything. It had not yet happened as an event, but they were told exactly what to do and Israel did all that Moses commanded, we said. So we have two aspects of God's character and being. You remember this. (coughs) There is a little book in your Bible wherein there is a word used, kinsman, redeemer. All right? Many of you will know that little book of four chapters called the book of Ruth. That is God's nature, Gael, as kinsman redeemer. But that same word is used for the kinsman avenger. And we forget that. Did you realize that? You see, in in our Bible, there are immense lessons which we pass over so quickly. When Israel went into the land, (coughs) there are two aspects in your law courts today. There is murder and there's manslaughter. In all your law courts today, there's murder, which is deliberate, willful action. You hated the person. It's established it. You did it. You're guilty. But there is manslaughter, which is accidental. It happened. You killed someone, but you didn't deliberately do it. Even in your courts today, that's there. When God sent Israel into the land, of um, Canaan he established cities of refuge there are six their names have meanings it decries the nature of what God is like the names and when they're defined in meaning but this was the position given to us in scripture you're a Jew and the incident is given you have a friend you're going to build a house well you have got to go and get timber so you take your axe You cut down the timber, but as you're cutting down the timber, the Bible says, the axe head flew off and hit your friend and he's down on the ground. You don't stay there. You drop your axe and you run. And your direction is to the nearest city of refuge because the kinsman to this man you killed is required to kill you because you've shed the blood of someone made in the image of God. And you need refuge. And if it was accidental, if you did it, you fled. The word flee is used. The King James is a better translation than the NIV because it applies this in in Hebrews chapter 6. We have fled for refuge. He's talking to believers. We have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. Before us, we have a high priest in heaven whose blood sprinkles the mercy seat. He is our high priest. He is the one standing for us. You flee for refuge. Why? Because you've killed someone. So, I haven't killed anyone. Yes, you did. You killed Jesus. Your sin killed the Son of God. was my sin he bore, I am guilty. I never learnt about it till the gospel came to me. And what, what is the response? You flee you flee for refuge. Israel was taught, if it's accidental, (coughs) meaning not done deliberately and willfully, not planned and premeditated, and this is your attitude, it happened, but I was not aware of it. I wasn't guilty. It wasn't deliberate. You hear it. There is a place of refuge. Should you deliberately willfully, knowing everything in the truth. Take that action and crucify to yourself the Son of God afresh. You've killed him deliberately, willfully. The Bible teaches if that's your action and you run to that city, they'll meet you at that city. You'll come with your case whether you're innocent or guilty, whether it was manslaughter or murder, you must present your case at the city. They will let you in, but they will go back to the place where it happened and they will ask and inquire, did this man say anything hateful about the man that died? Can you pick up any evidence that this was deliberately and willfully done? If that's true, he must be shown no mercy He's handed to the avenger of blood and he will be killed because he did it deliberately, willfully. But if I have done it, it's not deliberate, it's not willful. I didn't know anything about it. It happened. He died. I heard. I have come for mercy. You let that man in, they'll go back, they'll examine the case. If it was not deliberate, and willful. This person has realized they have killed this man. Not planned, premeditated murder. You let him into the city. The avenger of blood cannot touch him. And listen carefully to the word of God. He is safe as long as the high priest lives. How long is Jesus alive in heaven? Forevermore. Let me ask you, have you fled for mercy? I did. I found out. And anyone who's heard the gospel message must realize my sin killed him. He was bearing my sin when he died. I killed him. That's why there is a clear picture separating out in the nature of God Remember Moses asked him, I beseech you, show me your glory. And he said, you can't see my face and live. He said, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will put my hand over you. I will pass by before you and I will declare my name to you. But you can't see my face and live. This is Moses. He never saw God in all his glory saw God face to face, but never in all his glory. He couldn't take it and live. So we come to this amazing scene. There are two sides to God's nature. We hear a lot about one side. All your choruses, nearly all, are dealing with the issue of love, mercy and grace. True? True. But if you will read some of your old hymns, many of them, in fact, there are two sides to the hymn. And one side will deal with the issue of what God really means in his whole nature and character. So we are going to go through. Take a look at these. I will take you through them very quickly. Um, Yeah, we'll look at Exodus 3, 18 to 20. (coughs) As he revealed himself, or promised to reveal himself to Israel, Exodus three, eighteen and twenty to (coughs) twenty. Verse eighteen, Exodus (coughs) three: the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go into the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Notice verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. So God is going to manifest his presence because he's concerned about his people, this chosen nation of his. So he's going to manifest his presence, and in manifesting his presence in what he does, It will be a powerful hand. And God struck Egypt so that even the leaders of Egypt went to Pharaoh and said, Don't you know Egypt is destroyed? By the end of the ninth plague, they went to him and said, Don't you know Egypt is destroyed? It was a wreckage. After nine plagues and every god they worshipped, God had shown himself more powerful than their god and was prophetic every time. Moses told them what would happen, and he wouldn't believe. Then it happened. No different to the two witnesses in Revelation. It's going to happen again in the world, not in Egypt, but to the whole world. This world does not know what lies ahead for it. We do. We've got a Bible. We know the book of Revelation is plain what's going to happen in the world. We just don't read it. We just don't look at it and think upon it. You think Egypt was devastated? You better think about the world when God's finished with it. The number of people left in this world will be like when you, when you smash the olive tree and get all the olives off and there's just a few left. He said that's the number of people that will be left in our world. The grapevine, when you harvest all the grapes, it's only the gleanings that are left, the few little bunches that are left in the grapevine. When you've harvested the whole grape field, it's all that will be left in the world and the world will be devastated. Its whole topography will be changed. You think the flood changed the world? Well, we're in for another shaking. God will shake terribly the earth. Isaiah 24 is the summary of the book of Revelation from chapter 4 to 19, and it's summarized. I won't deal with it, but it's there. All right? I wish I had a voice (coughs) that could put clearly graphically before people and there are some preachers who need to be in public view who have the capacity to put before our eyes what the Bible is actually saying graphically you're seeing it happen that is anointed preaching as far as I am concerned the reality of it is all before you and the Holy Spirit's presence is really making it real till people start to see it and shake you know, in the, uh, the, the awakening, when what's name, preached on the sinners in the hands of an angry God, you've got elders holding on to the pillars, fearing to fall into hell. So real was the preaching. That's the presence and convicting power of a holy God in the midst of our people. We miss it. Some of us have never experienced or seen anything like it. But we need to, don't you agree? In the kind of world which we are in, we need the reality of the Word of God in power in our midst. So when we come to this, that's to Israel. Take your next Bible and go to Exodus four twenty two, twenty three. <coughs> Exodus four twenty two, and twenty three. <coughs> then say to Pharaoh, "This is what the Lord says: Israel is my firstborn son." And I told you, let my, people, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refused to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. <coughs> the tenth plague on Egypt was the firstborn where the cattle and the animals, firstborn of them died, the firstborn of every household died. And there was a cry through Egypt at midnight because there was not one house, we're told, where there was not someone dead. In one night. The weeping, the crying, the reality. We don't live it. We don't see it. We're not there. I've been in a, a Pesach meal run by a reformed Jew, a Judaism people, I was invited and went with my wife thought, you are playing you don't believe what happened you sing your songs, it's no reality but how blind, how dead to your history the reality of what took place, where God manifested his presence in this world in power, to bring you out and you play with it like mockery Isn't it sad, the Jewish nation, blind to their own history? Maybe we are blind to our own history. The cross and the demonstration of God's power and all that it should mean to us. Do we have the capacity to grasp it as Israel should have grasped what God did back in the land of Egypt? Is it real to us? what Christ did at the cross, of what God was really doing for our sakes. So we're on a very important subject. True? Let's take a look. Exodus 6, 6 to 8. <coughs> Exodus 6, verse 6 to 8. This is what it was going to mean to Israel. I've just chosen out, you can read the whole section of what happened to yourselves, but verse 6, Exodus 6, verse 6 to 8, (coughs) Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, meaning that's who I am. He said, you'll know my name. You know my name as God Almighty. Abraham knew that, but I'm going to reveal myself as the Lord, sovereign, absolute in power. That's what he means. I will. um, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I'll take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Talk about promises. Do you believe we've got promises? Peter says, there has been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. How many can you refer to me? How many great and precious promises can you tell me what God has made to you? That by these promises, we might become partakers of divine nature. We might become like God in character. How far do we fall from the level to which God has called us? Lights in the world reflecting God who is light so when we come I can't lay the blame completely on the Israelite nation because I look at my own life in the light of what they had of God what they were called to do but we are called in the light of a people called out of darkness into light we should show forth the praises of him who called us in this manner I'll tell you a story I don't normally tell stories, all right? You might have heard of a man called Sidlow Baxter, I don't know. Through the Bible he wrote, exploring through the Bible. Sidlow Baxter's long since dead. <laughs> but he's a preacher and he's walking across the field thinking upon what he's going to deliver that morning in the church. As he walked through the field, he heard a little voice say, Hello, sir. He stopped, looked round the field, there's no one. started to go again, Hello, sir. There's no one. He looked all around the field. Hello, sir. I'm down at your feet. Look down, there's a little flower. Plant down there. He said, when you go, this voice spoke to him from a flower. He said, I didn't believe flowers spoke. The voice spoke to him and said, when you go, tell them my story. I was a dark brown, ugly looking little seed. No beauty. I was in darkness. I was down in the darkness. And then things began to change. The moisture came. And gradually I swell. I started to change. And then I started to grow, split. And then I started to go up to the light. And he said, I come out into the light. And when I come out into the light, I unfolded my leaves. And then finally out came the flower. And then I came out as a beautiful plant. and he said when you go you preach from 1 Peter chapter 2 and he gave him the verses he called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light that we should show forth the praises of him who did it he said my congregation never forgot that message and I never forgot the plant that talked in the field to me Don't say things can't happen if God wants you to communicate a message. So when you come to these areas, why are you here? To show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are a privileged people when we belong to God as believers. That's our purpose. That's our work. His praises. He brought us out of the darkness into his marvellous light. How long have you spent in his presence realising its marvellous light? Because when you leave that presence you will reflect and carry with you that light on you. You will have been in his presence. Our world is a rushed world, isn't it? I never had to face what you young people face. You understand what I'm saying? I never had a phone like this. It was just TV that came in that was the distraction in my day more or less. <coughs> but you have distractions on every side. I have distractions now because I'm, bored, I, I'm finding myself in an IT world. Now I love world news but I've had to discipline my life. I could spend time on the internet particularly with World Watch Daily and this kind of thing that is taking the events of the world daily. And they're happening so quickly. They interest me because it's happening. But I find my time is being taken. And if I don't discipline it, I don't go to the real source of the important things, which is my Bible. That's the real source of all important truth today. You may have heard the term, fake news. All right? Friends, this isn't fake news. This is the truth. So what time are you and I giving? Are we disciplining what God has given you and me, time to spend in His presence? You say, I haven't got time. Yes, you have. There's not one of us that hasn't got time. If we will discipline our life. You say, I've got nowhere, find a place. Find a place where you can be alone with God. Apart from your family and it's worship at the table, whatever takes place there. You yourself personally need time alone with God. It's part of fellowship with God. You know when you're reading Mark chapter 1, <coughs> it says he rose early in the morning before light. He was gone before the disciples woke. When they woke, they went looking for him. Why? The Bible says in Isaiah, morning by morning you waken my ear. You waken my ear to hear, learning, that I may have a word in season for him that is weary. When Jesus sat at that well and that woman came, he knew what he was going to say to her. Morning by morning, it's prophetic. Isaiah is prophetic. You waken my ear to hear. Here is the learned. So we have this understanding (coughs) that (coughs) God will be like this with his people. He says this in verse 7 of Exodus 6, I will take you as my own people, I will be your God, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So he begins, I am the Lord. He ends, I am the Lord. This is what I'll do. What's God said to you? Notice what he said to Israel. I'll bring you out so I can bring you in. That's emphatic. I'll bring you out and my purpose is to bring you in. He won't fail. Israel failed. There's only one place in scripture he says to the nation, you will know my breach of promise. When they're on the border of the land, first time up, and they come back with the ill report. He spoke to them and he said, (coughs) your children will go in, but you won't. You will die in the desert. You will know my breach of promise. I promised to bring you in, but for 40 years, They went through the desert and did not go in. Is it a nature and character of God we don't like to look at? Is it something of his dealings that demonstrate his holiness in relation to our rebellious natures and our sinful desires in contrast to the purity and holiness to which God has called us? Is this what we are seeing in the nature of God? So when we come to this whole area, I want to take you very quickly through. (coughs) I've put this up. God's name is his nature and his nature is demonstrated in his ways or his works. Now this is consistent through scripture. God's name is his nature and his nature is understood by his ways, and the works that accompany those ways. So when we come to what we're looking at this God made himself a name the Lord. I took you through the text. Egyptians would know I am the Lord, Israel will know I am the Lord. It says he made himself a name the Lord, and I quoted Romans 9:17 and told you tells us why he raised up. Now I'm going to take you through a pathway to make you realize and myself realize, you know the name of God? The Bible says God made himself a name. So if God, if you, uh, someone asks you, do you know the name of God? That you know his real nature. Take your Bibles and we're going to go through scripture by scripture. And please note what's being said in your verses. You've got uh, first one there, Daniel 9 verse 15. Daniel 9, verse 15. Notice what Daniel prays. He's actually praying. He's making a petition in this section. Verse 15. Now, O Lord, our God, that's relationship, who brought your people out of Egypt, that's history, the man with a mighty hand, but please notice, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. They're in Babylonian captivity. They've been in the land. They've seen kings. They've seen priests. They've seen tabernacle. They've seen temple. They have a history. He's looking back. And he says, you made yourself a name. It endures to this day. So the action of God bringing Israel out of the land of Egypt, the Bible tells you, he was making himself a name and it has endured right up to the time of the Babylonian captivity. You young people, I'm going to give you a chorus and I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose true. Dare to make it known. That's the world you are living in today. That's the position we are all in. Daniel means Dan- judge, El God. God is my judge. And in that sense, he will vindicate me. And he did. Who was in the lion's den? Daniel, that's his name. Did God vindicate his stand? Naturally speaking, the lion should have eaten him. Tell me, when you take a stand, do you expect God to stand on your behalf? You may not have it, they said. We will not bow and We believe God, but we will not bow to you. So they were willing to die. If God did not vindicate their stand, they were willing to die in the place. But we notice with Daniel, God vindicated his stand because he says he sent an angel. Tell me, would you like some experiences like Daniel? Well, you're going to have to go through what Daniel did. That's the only other thing. Dare to be a Daniel? He sent his angels. He shut the lion's mouth. So I guess Daniel went to sleep lying on a lion. <laughs> you know, perfect, kept by the power of God. So when Daniel was taken out, remember the king came and cried a lamentable voice Daniel, was your God able to save you? I'm here, O king. <laughs> Let him out. So bring those families who wanted Daniel eaten and destroyed, bring them and throw them into the lions. And they were crushed to pieces before they got to the bottom. Do you want to know the delivering power of God? You say, it's just a story, it didn't happen. It did happen. Because Jesus said, the prophet Daniel, he identified him as a prophet, one who suffered standing. So we come to the scriptures and we understand Daniel says, years later in the Babylonian captivity, you made a name for yourself that is endured to this day by taking Israel out of the land of Egypt in the way you did. So if you want to understand the name of God, he revealed his name by what he did. It is nature And we walked, there's two aspects to God's nature. There's the aspect of mercy upon the nation of Israel. But Egypt experienced total devastation and death as no other nation on earth has ever experienced to this day. True? Every house there was someone dead. There was no war. There was no battle. There was just a dead person, at least one in every house. So we are dealing with God who establishes himself a name by his action. Go to Deuteronomy 4, verse 32-35. I take you there because God is consistent in in, uh, mentioning this in the scriptures. (coughs) Deuteronomy 4, and we're looking at verse 32 to 35. Good question. (coughs) Deuteronomy 4, verse 32. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created man on the earth. You know the Bible has no problems with history. It's only our world that's got problems with history. Long ago there, you said, you ask your ancients, from the time God created man on earth, he's got no evolution in his thinking, didn't happen. All right. From the time God created man on the earth, you ask. One end of the heavens to the other, you ask. He says, this is what you'll ask. <laughs> ask from one end of the heavens to the other. This is the question. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Then there are two aspects. First one, has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? There's not another nation on earth has the history of Israel. Is there? There's not another nation on earth that has the history of Israel. And God challenges them. He says, you ask, one end of the heaven and the other, all around the world, you ask, has this ever happened to any other nation? And it hasn't. It is their history. It's written into feasts. It's written into celebrations. It's written into their memory. It's written into God's Word. And This is what he says. <coughs> has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation, by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord God, your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You saw it all. You've heard the gospel message. You've seen it all. The four Gospels tell you what happened. It's history. You have a clear description of what God did. Israel experienced it there, saw it all. It says, has any other God ever done this on the earth? And there is not. Now, this has not happened to any other nation on earth. And you're looking back through a long history of our world. You're going back 3,500 years at least. And you're looking through a, a celebration that has been kept by that nation from the time they came out of Egypt to the day you live in here now called the Passover. We have an amazing history. Our Bible is the history of our world. And our Bible in the Old Testament focuses on one nation and God's dealings with that nation doesn't it so we go down and we will just read a bit notice verse 35 you were shown these things so that you might know the Lord is God beside him there is no other let me ask you who are you worshipping there are many objects of worship in our world today there are many voices of authority people are listening to What is the object of your worship? Who is the object of your worship? Do you know who you're worshiping? You will only know him by revelation through the word of God, by the Spirit of God. You'll say, yes, I know him. I understand, I believe him. Just like Egypt experienced and saw God's handiwork in all that happened. Tell me, have you seen it? god's handiwork i see it often i can still remember going into woodford prison we used to go into woodford prison up near brisbane i walked in one day about two-thirds of the prison at this point were coming to the bible study two-thirds of the prison prisoners but i remember standing at the door and there was a lady officer there she was hard i tell you she was a hard nut (laughs) you could she was hard she was Walking through the door came this fellow and I looked at him in the eyes and I thought, I've never seen anyone so in despair, so dark, so lost, covered in tattoos. And I looked at him and I thought, I am looking at someone who has lost all hope and is in absolute despair of life. And he sat down in front of me because I would not stand like this. I would sit down in a chair and they would all sit down and I would just talk, which I prefer when I'm in prison, just sit and talk like that and teach at the same time. But I noticed he's in front of me and as I teach, and by the way, I'm a Bible teacher. I teach what I teach in Bible college in prison. Because right? they got to hear with the truth. I don't change it just because I'm in prison. And I watch. And I watched the tears start to drop till it became a river. And I handed it back to um, my friend who is uh, from Vanuatu. He lives in Australia. He plays the guitar and he will sing and I just teach. But afterwards, I don't finish the meeting, afterwards he came up to me and I saw how a miracle had taken place. Gone was the despair gone. It was no longer there. I had watched God cleanse someone inside and it reflected outside. I made no appeal. It's not my place. I've finished teaching. I just leave it at that. But I watched a miracle take place. It was my privilege to just watch and see a miracle take place in that man. And I realized how powerful truth is. It's not in our hands. God will honour truth if you'll stand for it. So when we come here, this is the God we worship. Go across in your Bible to chapter 34, Deuteronomy 34, and we're in verse (coughs) 10 to 12. There are very interesting statements made in verse 10 to 12. It's the closing section of this last book of Moses. And it says this in summary, Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 to 12. Since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt to Pharaoh, and to all his officials, and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. A prophet will the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, Moses said to Israel. Him you will hear. And anyone who does not heed his words will be cut off out of the people. Who's the prophet? It's not Muhammad. It's Jesus. It's your people. So I'm going to raise up a prophet and it's called the prophet Jesus. He was prophet, priest and king. He was the full lot. But your Bible says, no man, has been risen up like Moses and the whole experience of Israel is based on one man, Moses. And he took the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt but he couldn't cross the river. He couldn't cross the river. (coughs) Someone said to me occasionally, you're a man of God. Uh, Well, I don't know. I do know Moses was a man of God and Moses to us is very special but Moses made a mistake and it cost him. The second time in the wilderness it was thirst. There was no water. The river had not come here. God spent rivers in the desert. When they needed water the first time cleft the rock and rivers, read your Psalms, rivers flowed in the desert. No want of water in the wilderness. It was miraculous. But brought them to it. God brought them to another place very late in their time of 40 years. They're thirsty. And God told Moses, You take the rod. And I said to someone before, I used to think upon this. And then I suddenly realized it hit me. The first time, take the rod you smote the Nile with. That rod. This time, take the rod. From within the tabernacle, my presence, Aaron's rod that budded, the miraculous new life. Take that rod, you go to the rock, take the elders with you, you speak, and that rock will give its water. And Moses got there and he said, You rebels, must we bring you water out of the rock? And he hit it twice. And God said, because you did not honor me before the people, you will not bring them in. For Wow. You know, you read your Bible, they got to the Jordan and Moses said to God, let me go in and see this land. Don't you speak to me any anymore on this matter. That's how it would have come to Moses. Don't you raise the issue again. I've spoken, that's it. He allowed him to go up into the mount. He buried up there. And Moses was a man of God. But one mistake, and that was it. Is God holy? His holiness we do not understand. You would never do that to Moses, would you? Moses experienced it. God is holy. So when we come to this, this is God's place like this. Now, my time clock has nearly gone. I'm going to say this. (coughs) What you see there is scripture after scripture after scripture that tells you God made a name for himself when he brought Israel out of the land of Egypt. But when you go home, this is what you're going to do. You're going to look up Micah 7 verse 15, Hosea 2 verse 14 and 15, Jeremiah 16, 14 and 15, Jeremiah 23, 7 and 8, Jeremiah 32, 37 to 41. You say, why? Because as he made himself a name in the past, the Bible promises he is going to make a name for himself again with the nation of Israel. God is dealing in the world you and I live in today with the nation of Israel. The world is against her. There is hatred on every side to that little country. There has been hatred through its history. Its rejection of God and its 2,000 years of scattering to the world is history. And the church has carried a message. But make no mistake, God is going to do wonders with this nation, to bring that nation back to himself. And I did not have time to cover the last three feasts. (coughs) And my time has gone. (laughs) I trust I have sown into you a hunger and a thirst to realize the Bible has every answer you need for the day you are living in now. It's up to date. Take these men. Take these characters you read. Look at them. Learn from them. Let your faith grow through understanding God's dealings with them because the way he dealt with these men of the scriptures, he will deal with you. I don't care who we are. If we will trust God and trust his word, you will find things happen in your life you never ever realized you would be part of. I never planned my pathway, but it has opened out. Some things I would regret as I look back. (laughs) All right? (laughs) But I am thankful. God leads. God leads. Be open to God's leading in your life. The Holy Spirit has been given, Jesus said, to lead you and I into all truth. The teacher you need is the Holy Spirit because he's holy and what he takes will make you holy. That's his work. God bless you. Thank you for the time I've been with you. I do enjoy it, as I said. (coughs) Maybe next year you may see me again. We will see.